ASD, or Autistic Spectrum Disorder, is a developmental disorder that affects communication and behaviour. Everyone on the spectrum shares similar symptoms. However, the severity of their symptoms and their experiences vary from person to person. Autism is thought to affect more than one in a hundred people in the UK, and the exact causes of it are still very much widely debated, but current research suggests that a combination of genetic and environmental factors are at play. Common underlying uh, features of autism include problems with social interaction and communication. For an example, an autistic child may be heavily dependent on visual means of communication, such as through sign language or visual cues, whilst others may find it difficult to carry a conversation, whether that be by talking in depth about their own interests and not considering who they are conversing with or repeating their words, a phenomenon that actually is known as echolalia. They may find it hard to empathise with another person or to understand what they want from a conversation, to know when it's suitable, or when there's a suitable moment rather, for them to respond and in which direction to take that conversation. A child with autism may take things literally and understand or misunderstand rather sarcasm, tone of voice and humour. And this can prove uh, to be a barrier when attempting to form relationships with their peers and can leave an autistic child feeling lonely and isolated. It's not unusual for someone with autism to feel overwhelmed by change and they can find the world unpredictable. So they may stick to strict routines such as eating the same thing for breakfast every day or traveling the same way to school. Autistic people often have heightened sensory sensitivity, meaning that they are typically over or under sensitive to light, touch, sound and other senses. In a busy room with a lot of noise, for example, they may focus on a background noise which is really unnoticeable to others or find themselves fascinated by some textures. Animals provide several health benefits to their owners, irrespective of disability or disorder. Interacting with an animal can increase levels of the stress-reducing hormone oxytocin and decrease production of the stress hormone cortisol. And studies have proven that animal owners have a significantly lower blood pressure and cholesterol or cholesterol levels than their non-animal owning counterparts. Having a pet offers a source of non-judgmental companionship which reduces the feeling of loneliness as an animal is always pleased to see the owner at the end of the day despite appearance, mood, how much they're complaining even. The naturally accepting nature of an animal is an appealing characteristic to autistic children as they can lead the conversation in whichever direction they desire without needing to consider the opinion of the other person. And this can prove useful in reducing mental health issues, levels of depression maybe or anxiety, which could be connected to ASD, as animals provide the safe space that some children may need to, to talk through any concerns or worries that they're feeling instead of keeping it to themselves. Animal-assisted therapy is a therapeutic intervention for patients with ASD that incorporates animals. And the potential benefits it brings is what I'd like to discuss in a little more detail in this particular podcast. And at this point in time, I'd like to thank Lorianne, my Year 13 A-Level Biology student, for conducting the research and providing the content for this podcast.
Riding for the Disabled Association, or RDA, as is often abbreviated to, is a large charity committed to providing life-changing experiences for disabled children and adults across the whole of the UK. Their work has shown to provide significant health benefits, particularly for those on the autistic spectrum, who engage with the programme. So, once a week, a child gets to ride a horse for about an hour or so with the help of volunteers and coaches. Now, for a child with ASD who feels socially isolated, this is a particularly memorable experience. It allows them to develop a bond with the animal in a social setting. In, I believe, 1971, it was Professor Emeritus of Psychology, Albert Meherabian, concluded from two studies that about 7% of communication is verbal, 38% is through tone of voice, and the remaining 55% is through body language. Now, it's important for a horse and rider to communicate with each other, and this can only be achieved through the use of body language. Through riding, an autistic child learns and practices how to express themselves through their body language and how to interpret a horse's body language. And over a relatively short period of time, the child may feel bonded to their horse and have a better understanding of their emotions. The skills, and this is the crucial thing, the skills that are used to form a relationship with the horse can be transferred to their relationships with their peers. In uh, research conducted by the RDA, 68% of riders were reported to have improved their communication skills. 77% of participants reported increased confidence levels and 82% were said to have improved their ability to form relationships. So you could say that the effect that these RDA sessions have had on their riders is clearly quite profound. I should just point out, not all riders are autistic. The riders at RDA have a range of disabilities, which include physical disabilities. But for autistic children who struggle with social communication and interaction, however, the riding has provided benefit. Attendance at these RDA sessions affords an autistic child the opportunity to interact with different people in the calming presence of an animal. The Organisation for Human-Animal Interaction, Research and Education is a large research group headed by Dr Maggie O'Hare at Purdue University in Indiana. And they investigated the physiological effects of animals on children. So Dr O'Hare and her team studied 33 children with a clinical diagnosis of ASD, along with 66 what's called neurotypical children, between the ages of 5 to 12 years old. Each of the subjects was given a wristband which measured electrodermal activity. So that's differences in the electrical potential between different parts of the skin, which can be measured as the ability of the skin to conduct small currents of electricity. Electrodermal activity is higher when someone is more excited or stressed, and it's lower when relaxed, or they're experiencing feelings of boredom. The children were then placed into four different kind of scenarios or tasks, if you like. They had five minutes to read silently, five minutes reading aloud to the group, ten minutes playing with toys as a group, and finally ten minutes playing with guinea pigs, again in a group setting. 
Now, in each session, the researchers observed how the children interacted with one another, and the wristband measured their skin conductance levels. As a high conductance level, though, it can signify being stressed or excited, which are contradictory emotions, you could say, the researchers also provided the children with a strip of smiley faces, ranging from very sad to very happy, and that helped them to identify whether the emotions that the children were feeling during the experiment were positive or negative. After really careful analysis of the data, the research team suggested that the first three activities led to feelings of boredom among the neurotypical children, but they became excited when the guinea pigs were introduced. In contrast, the autistic children were showing high levels of stress in the first of, of the first three group situations. But when accompanied by guinea pigs, they were significantly more relaxed. In the presence of the guinea pigs, the autistic children socialised more easily with their peers. And this study goes some way to support the argument that animals act as a social buffer for autistic children. They provide a topic of conversation and the interaction may feel less overwhelming as they are physically more relaxed, which can make the overall experience much more pleasant. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, autistic children may exhibit different responses to sensory stimuli. If an autistic child is particularly oversensitive, oversensitive to touch, let's say, an animal can help satisfy them. If they feel a dog's head resting on them, that pressure can be reassuring. It can bring a feeling of calm in a moment of high anxiety. Well, this is according to a number of articles published in July this year about the benefits of owning a dog. I myself have a greyhound called Luca, a rescue from Battersea Dogs and Cats home. And whilst it's clear that his life has significantly improved, well, having gone from the racing track to relaxing on my couch, the benefits of the relationship, I, I guess you could say, have been reciprocal. I mean, I do find myself in a more relaxed state in his presence. I'm calmer. The pace of things just seems slower. I'm in no doubt at all that my emotional well-being, well-being rather, has been enhanced with a dog in my life to look after. But whilst the title of this podcast is potential beneficial effects of animals on autistic children or the question rather do animals have beneficial effects on autistic children we must accept that our current knowledge of the autistic spectrum is fairly limited but rapidly developing and the majority of studies on the interactions between autistic children and animals are to some extent unreliable and that there really hasn't been a large enough cohort of subjects tested from which robust, valid conclusions can be drawn. The experiment conducted by Maggie O'Hare and her team really was groundbreaking. It was one of the first studies of its kind to provide data about the effects of animals on ASD patients, on which statistical analyses could be performed. Autism is a spectrum, so not everyone experiences it in the same way. One type of therapy uh, compatible with one autistic child, for example, may be completely ineffective on another. And what if autistic children are exposed to, let's say, less affectionate animals? If the child can't form a relationship with that animal, then would they have the opportunity to still develop their relationship building, skill, building skills? 
and their social communication with their peers. Dr. Temple Grandin is an American professor of animal science, a consultant in animal behaviour, and a well-respected author on the subject of autism. And she writes that in her experience, about a third of people with autism are unusually good with animals, about a third are terrible with animals, and a third are about average in how they get along with other species. Perhaps then, our current research needs to be subject to greater scrutiny. Is there statistical significance in the results that we've obtained? Or are the findings just simply due to chance? It's definitely a topic I want to explore in more detail in future podcasts, and particularly alternative therapies and interventions used to support ASD patients. For now, though, I think we'll leave it there. And that, all that remains really for me to say is to thank everyone for listening. And if you do happen to have a spare couch, why not check out the Battersea website for yourself? Thanks, everyone.